0: Hello Texans and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium. I am back from Phoenix and let's begin the show like this. By the way, John Harris is coming out in segment two to talk about Ed Oliver at the UH Pro Day today, so you don't want to miss that. But John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, still in Phoenix at the NFL meetings, wrapped up now, the general making his way back. So, John, let's talk about the rule changes. Let's talk about reviewable pass interference offensively and defensively. This is a huge development.
1: Mark, I think I'm like everyone else. I was stunned. Not that they said that they would review replay, but then when they put in, they could challenge it for non calls. And, of course, that was in direct response to the controversy at the end of the NFC championship game, in which two officials missed a blatant interference call, not to mention an egregious hit on a defenseless receiver. But all week we've been told in the week leading up to it they weren't going to do that. And then I believe Sean Payton made an impassioned plea. A couple other coaches like Jason Garrett talked about it. The coaches really spearheaded this with the owners. The competition committee was 4-4, four, four, and then the day before, and then Sean Payton got involved, and he told the media the day before to do nothing shows that you got no problem with what happened. So they decided to replay the offenses, and defensive pass interference could be reviewed, and uh, even if there was a non-call. Now, I think there's going to be a lot of controversy with it, but blatant penalties like that, Uh, We shouldn't have to worry about them anymore. John, are you with me?
0: that I'm actually glad they did the non-call part of this because had they not, I think officials would have erred on the side of throwing too many flags and put it up to the coaches, put the onus on them to challenge if the call is incorrect. Now I think they'll just call it the way they see it, and it's still up to the coaches. But I think too many flags, maybe extra flags, would have been thrown had they not put the non-call element in there. Your thoughts?
1: I'm with you on that, Mark, I believe. And also, remember, the coaches can challenge up to two minutes left in each half, and then it's going to be up to the replay official. There's no eye in the sky, sky judges. A lot of people wanted that they have in that Alliance American Football, but he's going to have to be on top of the situations too. All the decisions, of course, are made in New York in the office of Supervisor of Official Alberto Riveron. And uh, so I think it's good for the game. I think that uh, we will see more calls. But the main thing is, you know, coaches, they still just have their two challenges. And if they get one right, then they get another one. And I think they'll still save one for late in the game. That, You know, what if Sean Faden had used his challenges in the championship game and they had that, that uh, egregious error? then he would have been, oops, why didn't I save one of those? So I don't think we'll see a lot of challenges. And uh, I think but it's certainly going to be good for the game.
0: But, John, if the big error, like the one in the Saints game, happens inside two minutes to go and the officials don't, like, don't look like they're going to stop the game, I don't know, if I'm a coach, I'm running out on the field and I'm going to take a penalty just to give it a little more time and maybe they do have a look at it and I'll just go ahead and take the penalty after they – enforce the original penalty. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's got to be a way that you can stop things if you don't have a timeout.
1: Well, that's why they better keep the timeout, especially in playoff games, because we see so many things happen in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter and even in overtime. But uh, I think it's good. I think it cr- certainly created a buzz. I thought, it, I thought it, they were going to table it to the May meetings as they did Kansas City's proposal for each team getting a possession in overtime. And they were on the verge of doing it. And then all I've never seen, I figured up, I have been to 37 NFL owners meetings in the spring. And I've never seen a situation that goes from ho-hum to all of a sudden such a buzz created late on Tuesday.
0: Yeah, and they got it done by Tuesday evening, which was different, right? Usually Wednesday, it's a little bit more of a news day but they just were determined to get this thing done so everybody could digest their meals on Tuesday evening.
1: They wanted to do it while, while it was hot. I don't think they got out of there until about seven o'clock and uh, the news conference afterward with Roger Goodell and uh, Rich McKay and Troy Vincent that lasted about 30 minutes and it was quite interesting as well. But uh, I, I, I can't wait to see how this is implemented and what kind of controversy it causes and what kind of games it
0: saves. John, it's such a transitional year as far as ownership because four owners passed away over the past year, including Mr. McNair, and there's a special coming out on NFL Network, and I think people will see it a lot of different places, called The Lifetime of Sundays, about the four. I mean, these ladies should be on the, the female Mount Rushmore of the NFL when you're talking about Mrs. McCaskey, Rooney, Hunt and also Ford, and now Mrs. McNair joins them as a surviving uh, widow, and she owns the team. I know you had a chance to visit with her, and a big piece is coming out Sunday in the Chronicle. What was your visit like? What can people look forward to out of the piece you're writing on Mrs. McNair and the Texans?
1: And also the Titans, Amy Adams-Trunk and the Saints, Gail Benson, they were in there involved in every, every meeting, as was Janice McNair, who has taken a much more active role since Bob died, um, I think on November the twenty-third, and she was uh, in a lot of the meetings. You know, in the past when it was executive session and there were two, it were Bob and Cal. This time it was uh, Janice and Cal, and I talked to Roger Goodell about her, and uh, Cal was really good talking about her, and and she's still so sad. You know, it's like she said, it's been four months. He wasn't supposed to leave me, but. She's tried to turn the grief to gratitude and great memories and everything they shared together since they met in college at a at a dance. And uh, Bob was so poor he didn't have a car. He had to he had to hitchhike or catch a ride. But she talked about how great he looked at that dance. And once they danced, they were smitten. She was smitten with him, but he didn't call her for two months. And uh, then he did. They saw each other again and. And, of course, they were married. They came to Houston in 1960. But she, uh, she's she got a lot of confidence in Cal as the chairman who runs the franchise. But he said he does now. Uh, Cal said that he used to, when Bob couldn't come to practice, and he was undergoing treatment, Cal would call him every day when he left the office and tell him what was going on. And, and Janice said that, that uh, really helped Bob during that ordeal, and he says now he does that with his mom. When he leaves, he calls her, tells her everything that happened during the day because, you know, Cal's around, he goes to practice, he meets with Jamie Roots, Bill O'Brien, Brian Gain wants to know what's going on, and they like working for him because the McNairs have been very good about spending money, giving resources that they need to succeed, and And the bottom line is that with Janice as the controlling owner, and Cal is the chairman, there's not going to be a change in the way the organization operates or the way they are in the community with their philanthropic causes.
0: John McClain joining us still in Phoenix with the NFL meetings. John, what about the Texans' off-season move? Since you and I last spoke, they signed Matt Khalil, left tackle, and it's not exactly like signing a high-priced free agent here. He is somebody who can help them up front. Your thoughts on that particular acquisition?
1: If he stays healthy, his former coach Ron Rivera told the media, I believe, that they didn't know if he would stay healthy. The Texans gave him a physical. He worked out over there. And uh, they liked what they saw. Brian Gaines said they'll be smart about the way they bring him back from his knee surgery last season. He, can, he If he stays healthy and he's on the roster for every game, he can make a maximum of seven and a half million. With a base salary of 3.25, if he's on injured reserve or one of the other list, his his base will drop down to 1.25, I think, and he gets a signing bonus of two something. And so it's a, it's a calculated risk, but they they've given him motivation to be healthy. And if he's healthy, he should be able to help him. But uh, he's another free agent that does not count against compensatory formula right now. Brian Gain is plus three for 2020 compensatory picks. And I think, Mark, they'll sign another player or two, and maybe they'll be unrestricted with the team and, and knock that plus three down to plus two or plus one. Or it could be at a couple of guys like they already have in which those guys were cut or not tendered, and then they don't count against the formula. So you can tell in these moves that Brian Yane, who wants to build through the draft, has got an eye on picks uh, because you can't have too many picks. Whether you want to make trades, now you can trade good story picks. And remember, this is all for 220, not for 219, but I like the way they've gone about it.
0: John, you and I were there with Bill O'Brien on Tuesday morning during his hour-long session with the media. What stood out to you about
1: that visit? Uh, we spent so so much time, you know. It's the only time of the year coaches have to sit still for about an hour while they're being an interviewed. One of the things I'm sure Bill appreciated this year was not like last season when he must have been asked 20 times by different members of the media about Deshaun Watson's knee. J.J. Watt's leg. He didn't have to answer conditioning questions, rehabilitation questions. You know, the Texans are good, get a good spot. Now it's all about personnel. You know, can you bounce back from the Indianapolis loss? Can you win the division for the fourth time in six years? Can you keep the Colts from passing you in the standings? And and people wanted to know about the team and some people are asking about Coaches like defensive coordinator Romeo Cornell, offensive coordinator Tim Kelly. I wrote a story yesterday; it's on Texas Sports Nation about all the things he said about Deshaun Watson, and how he expects him to improve, and why. And Deshaun, of course, counted for 31 this year, which is amazing, and he did it when we all saw him play injured for a few games. And uh, but the key for them, and and. As Bill pointed this out, one of the things that will help Deshaun is if you could have Will Fuller and Kiki QT healthy with DeAndre Hopkins, and that would help him. And uh, so when you listen to him talk about everything, it's hard not to get fired up. I went over and talked to Frank Reich, Mike Brable, and, and Doug Marone, and listening to them, basically listening any of the coaches, unless they're hopeless with no prayer, you get really fired up about the season.
0: John, do you get the feeling that in the AFC South, Tennessee is looking up at everybody else right now based on the Jaguars' defense and what Nick Foles could possibly bring to them? Or is it still a situation where the Jags have to, I mean, obviously they have to fight their way out of what they did last year. But what are you thinking as you've been to the owners' meetings now and talked to a lot of people?
1: Well, I think Jacksonville, considering how bad the Jaguars were last year, would have to be last. You know, they went from first to worst. Texans went from worst to first. Maybe Jacksonville, with the addition of Nick Foles, they'll go from worst to first. The thing is, uh, I don't think anybody will pick Tennessee to win the division. Most people are going to pick Indianapolis since they beat the Texans twice at Energy Stadium. And uh, then it'll be like who's who's uh, chase who's the closest. Tennessee or Jacksonville, to catching the Colts and Texans. Tell you what, though, everybody said this, Mark, and we know this. We don't have to be told. The division could be the best in football, could be the most competitive with Foles going to Jacksonville and, and hopefully for the Jaguars fans, giving them a legitimate quarterback since Blake Bortles' inconsistency. The division is going to be so tough, but it's also going to be fun to watch. What do you make of Gronk
0: retiring, John?
1: Um, It wasn't really a surprise, maybe the timing of it. Some people thought it was orchestrated to take the heat off Robert Kraft, but knowing Gronk, I don't think he thinks about things like that. His agent, Drew Rosenau, said he wouldn't be surprised if he didn't change his mind. he's had so many injuries, so many surgeries. Maybe after missing the off-season program training camp, maybe he will change his mind, but the Patriots need Another tight end. They don't have one. Steven Anderson is their tight end. And they have they have to do that whether it's in the first round or later round. He waited too late to help them in free agency. You know, but there wasn't a lot. Jared Cook, he's gonna be thirty three this season, so it leaves a big hole in their offense. I know the Texans defense won't be too unhappy when he comes to when the team when the Patriots come to Energy Stadium that they don't have to worry about Gronkowski who really had a good game against them last season and uh, he's a Hall of Famer and in my book he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. He is the best tight end I've ever seen as far as size, speed, receiving and blocking.
0: You know I'm glad you brought it up because this whole topic has made me really look back carefully at you look at Kellen Winslow Sr. and what he did with the Chargers. I know he wasn't the blocker that that Gronk was and Gronk was able to offer so many different things as a tight end to the Patriots. Ozzie knew some. You look at his numbers. I mean, there were some really good ones back in the day. Even Todd Christensen, Dave Casper played well as well. I mean, you had a lot of guys out there who could do a lot of damage. But, you know, clearly Gronk does look like the best. But your thoughts on some of the older guys who aren't maybe getting the run they should in this whole conversation?
1: The guys you mentioned, they weren't blockers like Gronkowski. They were receivers. Tony Gonzalez, a great receiver, uh, he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. And if I'm going to put somebody in who is as great as Gronk was in all areas, and I don't care that he only played nine seasons that he was hurt, an average of three games a season, I know what I saw, and I've been watching NFL since 1960 and covering it for over 40 years. I'm voting for him on the first ballot, and I think he's the best I've ever seen all around.
0: Okay, thank you, General. Don't forget to check out John McClain's article on Cal McNair, his special on Janice McNair and the Sunday Chronicle, all of that. Now, John Harris joins us next, and Johnny's going to talk about Ed Oliver. He saw him up close and personal today. And also, let's get into it about the new rules and everything else around the league with John Harris. It's coming up next on Texans Radio. For the first time in a long time, I catch up with John Harris here on Texans All Access here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Thanks to the general, John McClain, for being on today. All right, Johnny, you we have a lot to cover, okay? We do. Uh, as Rich Lord would say, a lot of ground to cover, and you covered the ground at the University of Houston today. Let's get into that first.
2: UH Pro Day, Ed Oliver on display. Ooh. How was he? Wow. It, he, he's a, He's an interesting dude on a lot of different angles. We knew going to the combine, let's flash back to the combine a little bit. We knew going to the combine, all the talk was, how tall is he? What's he going to weigh? Like, what's his height weight? So when he went to the combine, he ended up essentially being 6'2, 287. And everybody's like, ah, that's good. He's good. 6'2, 287. Do you remember shortly after the combine, there was a conspiracy theory that came out that Kyler Murray may not be 5'10 and an eighth? Remember that? There was kind of a, mm-hmm. there was kind of a, there was kind of this conspiracy theory that maybe that was a little bit taller than he actually was. Really? So the first thing that the guys do at University of Houston Pro Day is do their height and weight, right? And Byron Lesby is the area scout for the Colts, and he's doing the height. And one of our guys was doing the weight. And so Ed Oliver walks up, looks at Byron, and says, not doing it, walks over to the scale, and got on the scale. So he didn't get measured again for, the, for his height. Oh, so wait a minute. No so, height
0: measurement no at the height combine. Measurement. Or- no, he
2: did a height measurement at the combine. All right. But he and he and he was almost six two, which I think people know uh, stretching a little bit. But it got me thinking about the whole Kyler Murray thing because at five ten and 8", people thought that was stretching a little bit. So were the combine heights a little bit Ooh a little bit more than what they were I, I don't know. Either way, he chose not to get measured again on his height. But he got on the scale, and he got on at 281. But the combine is a big deal. over said, so 287. Ed Oliver has never played a down of football in his life at 287. I can promise you that. And I promise you that he didn't play much, if at all, at 281 either. He's probably more 275 at his best and probably where he needs to be, which is problematic, but that's where he needs to be. But... He ran in the 4-7 range. I, it's funny. I was standing there watching with our buddy David Nuno from ABC 13, and we were across the way where they had all the media and other others that weren't scouts. I went across the way, and I was watching, and he ran it, and I turned to David and said, that's in the 4-7s. And he's like, how do you – And I was like, nah, I just, I've seen enough of these that over the years <laughs> that I kind of have an idea – and I was like, that's just, I kind of felt like he would be in the, the high 4'6", low four sevens. He was like four seven two, Which at 281 pounds is still really, really it's good. It's ridiculous, Johnny. It's still ridiculously good. And his short shuttle time was excellent. It was like four one nine. His three-cone was like 7'1", something. He, he, those are the things he didn't do at the combine. He did those. And then, Mark, I'm telling you, there were about five or six defensive line coaches there. Ravens. Mm-hmm. Ram, uh, Ravens, Colts, um, Eagles, Raiders, Bengals. They all wanted a piece of him. They yeah. all wanted a piece of him. And so the Ravens, defense line coach, like ran him through bags and different things. And it was really, so allowed I mean, to really work him out. Everybody's allowed to have a little time with him. So this is what I found out. This is what I found out. I've talked to some scouts on this. Actually, I think I got this for Brian Gannon at one point. He said if the coaches are there, the coaches take precedent to the scouts. Okay. So, if there are no coaches there, the scouts run all these drills. But if there are no coaches there, then the scouts do it. But if there are coaches there, especially D-line coaches, they'll run the drill. I saw, Mark, more head coaches, GMs, defensive coordinators, and D-line coaches than I've ever seen at any pro day I've ever been to. Really? And I've been to a bunch of them. I, even, even Johnny's pro day, I don't remember seeing that many. That's
0: incredible.
2: I don't remember For seeing Ed that Oliver. many. Oliver. For Ed Oliver. Uh, now, Isaiah Johnson's the corner, uh, and he got hurt during the bench pass. Now, I don't know how no, bad it was. Today? He tweaked it. I don't know how bad it was. He stopped after some, at some point, and he went over and had a trainer look at it. But he ended up, I believe, doing his position drills later on. So I think he was okay. But he didn't do any other testing he didn't need to because combine testing was so good. So, yes, they were there to see Ed Oliver. And so the Ravens-Defense line coach puts him through his drills. Then... The Oakland Raider defensive line coach wants a piece of him. Then the Eagles defensive line coach wants a piece of him. And then Vrabel wanted a piece of him. Oh, boy. And so Vrabel played tight end, as we've seen him do, yep. with Ed Oliver. And it was it was kind of fascinating to watch to to see that go on. And Ed mentioned yesterday that the Titans spoke to him about playing outside linebacker, which is kind of it's an interesting development in all this because that's one of the things – Uh, That I've talked about, where do you play him? Like, he can play a lot of different spots. And, you know, our buddy Lance Erlein, that's a conversation that we had way back when. Like, where do you play him? And, man, do you even kind of stand him up and use him kind of like the Texans use Clowney, like as an inside linebacker in some sense. But he's a freakish athlete. When he did his, his bag drills, and he did the different, like, change of direction drills, the one thing I used to always harp on, Mark, was to my players was run straight lines. Don't bow, don't, don't arc it, you run straight lines. I mean, that's the I mean. You know, shortest distance, straight line, yeah. right? Ed can change directions and run a straight line like I've never seen. He went through the bags and could turn on the bags. They had to do this one bag drill, and then it was a pass rush. So the last one so would go through the bags, he'd like rip and do these different things. And then the very last one, he would have to bend back around like he's rushing the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys will bend it, and it'll kind of of widen out. He literally bent it and almost went right back down the line of bags. He was that – he could bend it that much. It was impressive to watch what he was able to – it was really, really impressive. So he's a freak, and he's going to go how high? Well, Sean McDermott from Buffalo was there. So I texted my buddy, who's the silent reporter, Sal Capaccio, and I said, hey – how would oh, he you says guys, hi,
0: by the way. So I guess you already knew that because I met him.
2: Yeah, he didn't tell me that. Um, he just told me that uh, I said, "Hey, your head coach is here." I said, "Would you guys? Do you guys want Ed Oliver at number nine? Is that too high?" You guys? He goes, "No, we would love to have him." So I, I think Ed, after today, I think he, people go back and the proverbial check the boxes. I think he did more than that. Now Ed's got a lot of different things he's got to answer to over his career at the University of Houston. And certain things that happen that he's got a outerwear. Yeah, that that's one of them. I think mm-hmm. there's some other things. So I think he's going to. It's going to be really tough for teams like Buffalo after seeing a guy like Kyle Williams go to say, "Man, wow, we, we we could we could have a guy like this." I would imagine you walk out of there feeling pretty good about what that guy can do do on the field. So I it's going to be hard for him to get out of the top ten. I mean, I thought going over there today. You know, look, maybe there's a thought that he drops, maybe because of some of the things that happened off the field. There's no way. I mean, he's a top-12 player, no He's question. too
0: freakish an athletic talent. That you can't figure something right. out. Just like Clowney, not just like Clowney, but Clowney was a more extreme example of yeah. that, right? He's yeah.
2: just such a freak that you're not going to pass him up at number one. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, as we have found with Clowney, what have the Texans done? They figured it out. Yeah. And that's what I say all the time. Like, this guy's too good a football player. Draft him and figure it out. Well. They sort of have with Clowney. Like, what do they do? They line him up in the A-gap. They line him up over a guard. They put him outside. They rush him in a four-man set. They line him up in linebacker. They figured it out. That team is going to have to do that with that Oliver. They're going to have to move him. He can't just play in one single spot. You know, like Aaron Donald can play that three technique, and that's what he can play, and that's and he plays it really, really well. You're probably going to have to move Oliver to different spots to really get the most out of him. But draft him and figure it out. I I thought going over there, man, would there be a chance that maybe some teams just, you know, kind of soured on him for some of the off-the-field things and some of the other things that maybe at 23, there is no chance. There is so,
0: no chance. You think it's two players drafted from that crew?
2: or I think, I think yes. At all, drafted, I think Isaiah Johnson gets definitely drafted. I, somebody asked me today, I think probably mid to late second, maybe early third on Isaiah Johnson. Look, he's 6'1". He's 6'1", 205, and he ran 4'4". And plays corner. I mean, those are the guys that you drool over in some sense. Now, his play doesn't always match up to those measurables. But a good DB coach with a good defensive scheme, I think he could come and he can learn in that. And I think he would end up being fine. The one other guy, Mark, that I thought was really impressive was Jared Davis. Now, he got hurt last year. But in 2016, when the Kooks played here, I'll never forget this. Oklahoma, the first drive, first couple drives were just going up and down the field on Houston. And then in the second quarter, I remember Baker turned and tossed one to Samaje P. Ryan. And Samaje just ran people. That was his game. He just ran people over. And Davis hit him so hard that P. Ryan's arm just dropped. I remember this. And P. Ryan had to go out of the game. Yeah. And I just remember the game turned on that spot on that one yeah. right there. He, he tested extremely well. I saw his vertical jump. And I'm... I watched I'm like, oh my goodness. It was definitely in the 40 range. I couldn't hear the number, but it was definitely in the 40 range. So Jared Davis um, is definitely a guy at safety at 5'11", like right at 6 feet. 6 feet, 205, I think, something like that. He's got a chance. Now, I don't know if he'll end up being drafted, but he's a guy you definitely want in your camp. He is way too athletic and a really good football player. You'd want him in your camp. I could see him getting drafted on day three but he might be a guy that teams are fighting for as a priority on drafted free agent. Johnny's going to
0: stay with us, and we're going to talk about more stuff involving rules and other things around the National Football League this week. We have a lot to catch up on, so stick around on the program here. It's Texans All-Access. Texans Radio from inside the building, NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. All right, we talked a bunch about Ed Oliver and the UH Pro Day. We had McLean on earlier, but let's get to this, because I haven't really opined much. On the rule change here, Johnny, challengeable yeah, pass interference. It's a game changer. I mean, this is really great stuff. It's a great week for the National Football League when this gets to happen, except for one thing. I was all excited about it, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, OPI, Uh uh-oh, no likey, because... Look, what if DeAndre Hopkins pushes off and all of a sudden a flag, red flag comes out? I want to see if he uh, yeah. committed offensive pass interference. Now you got to look at it. Now, they've got to burn those challenges carefully, the opposing coaches. Absolutely. So they're going to have to use that constructively, wisely for them. And this will be really interesting to see. I'm not saying Hopkins does that all the time or any of our receivers here in Houston, but you do have that happening from time to time with all receivers. Yep. So yeah, it could play to your advantage. It could play to your disadvantage. All of it could.
2: Yeah, it, it, exactly. And it goes the other way too. There are going to be some defensive backs that are notorious for doing things deep down a field. You know, grab. Mm-hmm. You know, the the video they showed of the the play in the Super Bowl right before the interception of Stephon Gilmore holding Brandon Cooks. Yep. And Cooks is unable to catch that pass, and the next one. Gilmore intercepts and the game is over. And that would have been a pass interference call. And that would end mm-hmm. up putting the ball down in scoring position for the Rams and how that game changed. You've got to make a
0: quick decision on a flag, or if it's inside two minutes, they're going to call for it from yeah. upstairs.
2: This is – now, the three of us, you, me, and Andre, we've talked about this many, many times because we watch CFL football. We've talked about how the CFL has this. Mm-hmm. The CFL has pass interference, offense and defense, non-calls and calls on the field they've it's been reviewable for a while in the CFL and Andre's been banging the table for this this is the only thing I think that I don't say bothers me but I thought about this and I talked about this last night Mark if that play again in the Rams Saints game doesn't happen do we even bring this up does it even come up probably not
0: I don't think it passes I think it always will come up but I don't think it passes as quickly as it did and there are those who say it wasn't that quick. They were meeting for a long time. Right. They went into overtime meeting, but they got it done. I mean, they got this done. Very often things like this, well, we'll just wait till May and then see if it blows over. I, or I'm not so sure that that's the way they look at it, but right. often it does happen that way. So, no, I think you're right. I mean, that play was so egregious. Everybody sees it. They've rerun the highlight a billion times since. And I think it's, you have to make sure that that doesn't happen again, and this is one way to do it.
2: Yeah, I think you're right from that standpoint. Hey, we can't have this happen again. The other consideration was the, the sky ref, you know, putting, a, putting yeah. a ref in there. If you had to pick one or the other, which one would you pick? Because if you have a sky ref, the sky ref, he could do more than pass interference. He could whistle down and say, hey, 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 we, we missed that one. Yeah. Oh, hey, we missed a target. We missed a target. You better decide quickly. And I think the sky ref would
0: actually slow the game down much more than challenges. See, that's the one thing I've heard about the challenges. Like, oh my gosh, the game's going to be so long. They didn't increase the number of
2: challenges for a coach.
0: No, it's the same number. But it should be pointed out. I do point it out from time to time. How? And I forget what the year was, but and it was a while ago. But before, you were not able to challenge, or you had to challenge a fumble situation, if you thought it was shaky, or a scoring situation. Now, touchdowns and fumbles or turnovers are automatically reviewed. You don't have to throw a flag if there's something iffy in a turnover. There was a day when you had to. So those flags became, I'm not going to say less valuable or less important, but it was less crucial that you really be conservative with them. I, I think that the real value is the timeout. Right, You have to say to yourself, forget about burning a challenge. I, very rarely do you see a game where a coach does not have a challenge available to him should he need it. It's happened, of course. Yeah. But it's very rare. To me, it's the timeout. It's what it's going to cost you, the risk-reward here. Am I willing to spend a timeout, to lose a timeout by throwing that red flag? That's the decision you make. I'll give you another one. Inside two minutes, there's a problem, let's just say, with, uh, with some kind of play. And they're about to snap the ball. You can't challenge a play, so you can't stop the music, and nobody from upstairs is, right. and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, and let's say you have no timeouts left. You could bang a timeout, waste one there, and hope that they see something egregious right. and change it or incorrect and, and change it. Right. What else could you do? Coach runs out on the field. Hey, offense, don't snap the ball. Take it delay a delay of game. Maybe they're going to see it, right? right? I'll take that penalty. I'll take that five-yard ticket. Or whatever it is for the coach running on the field, maybe that's uh, unsportsmanlike, and you're going to get a fifteen. Yeah. But you know, I might it, that might be worth it to me if I get something right, right on a
2: on a pass interference or something that they didn't see. Right. I think. The, I don't. I, I said this last night. The my, the, my worries with the pass interference, if I if I had one, it's not really worries, but the hail mary is one.
0: Yeah, that's a bad one.
2: I think that's going to. That's going to be sort of tricky. Has anyone
0: gone through a, like 20 Hail Marys yet to come out with all the pass interference that could be found on a yeah. video replay? They're, they're
2: going to be some blatant.
0: So, somebody's going to do that, and they're going to go say, ahead. look at this, 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 this. All these wouldn't have counted. I think pass interference, that is going to, be,
2: that's going to be really tricky. That's going to be the tricky one. Because I- it, Hail Marys, when do they occur? Inside two minutes? Well, here's the other one that I think is going to be sort of tricky. And, and this is just overall. There's a difference between pass interference and defensive holding. So, here's what's going to happen because you know we've been in we've been in this building. Ooh. So, what happens if we we and by we I mean our guys, yeah. Gavin and, and Kenny, and they run the video board? Yeah. If they look up there and they see one of our receivers in what looks like pass interference, but actually is defensive holding, can they go and put a defensive holding penalty on that? Because there's a distinct difference, and we've seen it. That's why one's called holding and one's called pass interference. That at the catch point, it's not interference. But you know what? Within the first five yards or first ten yards, there was holding. Well, they can't call that holding. But the fans are going to see that and go, wait a second. That's interference. You don't understand what I'm saying here? So I think there's going to be some times where the fans are like, that's interference. Well, no, technically that's defensive holding, but you can only review for interference. So well, I think that could get tricky. So you could get away with that, but not the PI. Right. That exactly. Jeez. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that could be very, very tricky. Like the the they could come out of the review and go, There was no pass interference. Right. They're not going to tell you about the holding. They might look at it and go, Uh oh, we missed a holding there. We missed a holding. But they can't apply the holding upon review. But they but I don't but they can't, right? I don't think they can So well, that that's that is another one I think is tricky because I can see a building of eighty thousand people going crazy with what they're seeing on the video board, and yet by the letter of the law of pass interference, it's not pass interference. It's defensive holding. Well, that's where I can see it getting kind of tricky. Where do you where do you come out on Bill Belichick who says review everything? Where do you come out on that? I think you should be able to challenge almost everything. That I agree with I that. I think we're going there. I think challenge. we're gonna get there. Challenge and, everything. That's cool.
0: And and I like it and I've said it with McLean too earlier this hour, in case you missed it, I said I'm glad they made it so you could challenge a non call, otherwise they would be throwing flags for everything and putting the onus on the coaches to challenge yeah. that stuff that they might have gotten wrong. Yeah. Now they just call a play and you know, that's it. You yeah. know, call it or don't call it or whatever. I just didn't want to see too many penalty flags thrown. It with the benefit of a doubt in mind, right? So that that's good. That's yeah. good that they did this. Uh, one rule I'm glad they did not pass is fourth and fifteen. Oh yeah, I wanted to get into this, I, Johnny. I'm very much against fourth and fifteen. Now I'd be all for it if you know the Texans are coming from behind and all of a sudden, <laughs> oh no, my gosh, you get a <laughs> chance to get the ball. But I just think it's not right. It's that to me is really it's crossing a line in the game of football. Where wait a minute, you're going to give. You know, and I've used this example before. Let's say you're playing Patrick Mahomes. You're you're at Arrowhead Stadium, mm-hmm. and you're up ten, whatever. Right. So you're up ten points with like three minutes to go, and you're playing some defense, but they're they're rolling down mm-hmm. the field. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they punch it in with say ninety seconds to go, or something like that, or even a minute to go. Yeah. And they punch it in. Now they're going to get the ball back at their thirty-five yard line with a with a chance for a fifteen-yard play to keep it going. I don't think so, because first of all, my defense is gassed because let's say you're up three, four scores and they've been throwing it on you and coming back. there in that one one of those comeback modes. Right. Right. And your defense is just getting gassed. You had a big lead, but now your defense is gassed. Now they're going to stay on the field for another 15 yard play. I don't think so. I'm not in favor of this at all. Now, I know it works both ways to your advantage. And we got number four. What's that? And we've got number no, four. No, look, I like that too. Believe me, I just think it's not football anymore at that point. Now, I heard the numbers were onside kicks prior to last year, something like twelve to fifteen percent, and now down to seven percent. Yeah, really, something down. like that. All right, seven percent. What's the conversion rate on a fourth and fifteen? But you cannot take every fourth and fifteen play and and come out with proper metrics on this.
2: No, I agree. I agree The, I agree is, with the you scenario I just laid out is very different. Well, John, that's what John Mara. Uh, one of the owners of the Giants said, he said, what, are we Arena League football? With I his? sat
0: next to him during one of the, the presentations. Oh, did you? And yeah, because he lives in Rye, New York, where I grew up. Oh, yeah, okay. So we
2: were just talking like that. Yeah.
0: And then it morphed into, he's like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like fourth of fifth. And this is before they voted it down. So yeah. it was yeah, yeah. still it was still alive, very much alive. Uh, but I knew he didn't like it, and I don't like it either. I'll tell you, the only way I would. You ex- know who loves it?
2: Who? TV. Yeah, TV course. would love it. It gives you be, hope. I mean, in just the fourth like the quarter, point conversion. you're not turning the game off. Right. The, you're not turning the game just, off because you yeah. got a shot. Yeah, TV loves it. Yeah, I mean, you're down two scores in the fourth quarter. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. We've got this. We'll get a fourth and 15. We're to, we'll We're be totally fine. The two-point conversion gave you hope, too, because yep. you're down
0: 16 or 15, and, you know, in the old days, well, you got no shot. You're down three scores. Now you're down
2: two scores. What was the sense there about the overtime rules not changing? Was there a surprise? Was there... Uh, no, I think I think most people were okay with it. Most people were it's okay with staying the same. Overtime,
0: staying the same. You know me, I'm old school. I, I, but uh, to in, in defense of those against me, <laughs> that it, it, the offenses have more of an advantage than ever. Yep. So getting that field goal to end the game quickly is, you know, it's a reality. It, that If you win the toss, you know, you got these unbelievable quarterbacks. They only have to get like 25, 35 yep. yards, and all of a sudden they're in range depending on if you get a return or not out of the deal. So, okay, whatever. But uh, I don't know. So here, to, Here's another aspect of all of this. Drive start. For the 4th and 15, I'd be much more in favor of it if you said you got to have the ball at the 20-yard line, okay, instead of the 35. Because well, at least then, yep. at the 20, they're getting a first down, Gets them to the 35, 40 forty-yard line. I still have a chance to play some D. If they're down, if they need a field goal, and it's fourth and fifteen from the thirty-five, well, all of a sudden they're almost in range,
2: you know. Well, here the thought process with it, I sort of can see, is that if you have an onside kick, where would you recover the onside kick? All right. Yeah, I know, but I
0: think an onside. That's.
2: Kick, I mean, that's the thought behind why you put it to thirty-five. Yeah, because but, you're kicking off in the thirty-five. Now you're getting it at the. 45, but you're right. 50. If you put it at the twenty, mm-hmm. then you make it. Then, then I'm like. I think it's interesting. Put it I, guess, the, I, I bet. I bet that those
0: against it, like me, would be much more willing to say yes if it's at the 20 or 25 yard line.
2: I'll tell you some of the people that might be against it, and one of the reasons why I am I'm not opposed to it. Have you ever had to stand there and wait for an onside kick with guys that have a running start coming at you? Yeah, it's the scariest well, now thing you don't. ever. Now you can't. Yeah. You still have a li- – I mean, but well, but running at – They get 10 at- yards as opposed to 15 now. I mean, it's – I mean, I was the guy for us that would have to field the onside kick because I played baseball, I had good hands. Right. That's a scary thing to do. That's frightening. I huh? hated it. And that was that was in high school college. This is the NFL – I mean, this is a whole different ballgame. I've seen guys on an on onside kick just get drilled. And you're not – you're, you're going to have – I think teams at that point, okay, you've got an onside kick now. They're just going to have to become more proficient and get a little bit more creative with what they can do. But that's where talking to Brad Steele and Tracy Smith might be a good conversation. Like, hey, how, how, can, you, how can you get a little bit better with this whole onside kick thing? Like, what can you do? What can you explain? To make it more recoverable? Yes. Maybe that's the answer come up with something like, well, they've
0: already done so many things with so many guys on a side and yeah. everything, and you can't it. I mean, you are it. limited
2: in some of the things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So it would be curious. But that, that not passed. I was not surprised it didn't pass when I heard what John Mara said. When yeah. I heard that, I was like, okay, he's probably not the only one thinking like this. Yeah, I mean, coaches are one thing.
0: Competition committee is one thing. But the owners have the final say yep. on all this stuff. All right, one, one other thing on the way out here the American Alliance of Football, or the whatever they're called, they yeah. might go out of business after this weekend. This could be it for them. Yeah, that's sad. And there's a bunch of talk about union rules and being able to use NFL players who have uh, practice squad eligibility or on a practice squad or yeah. whatever it is. My question is, we saw in 1987 you had a replacement league. Mm-hmm. I mean, every team in the league – Had a replacement team. Yeah, they went out. There aren't enough guys to field all these teams in the AAF right now? Is it strictly a labor problem? I think they're just hemorrhaging money. They can bellyache
2: all they want about not enough talent out there. Mark, they tried to throw a a professional football league together in a year. I don't think you can do that. I mean, you look at the XFL. The XFL is taking two years to put this whole thing together to make sure that they don't get in this particular position. They'll have deeper pockets. I, I mean, Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I think just in due time, just learning. And the XFL can learn from what the, the AAF. I do think that it would help to allow some of your your guys to be able to go play in those leagues and to have to oh, yeah. have that. But there are problems inherent with that mm-hmm. situation. But I think it would be very helpful for certain positions. And I, I can't remember who I heard say this. Oh, I know. It was Bob Papa. I was listening to him one morning when I was driving around. And he was talking about... The World League, that's why the, the European League, the World League over in Europe was perfect because quarterbacks, coaches, linemen, they all got extra reps playing yep. over in Europe. That's where Kurt
0: Warner went. That's what Brian Gain was telling me. He said quarterbacks and O-linemen. O-linemen need, need, need those. We always talk about live it. reps and they don't really get enough in the preseason because yep. it is the way it is. And a lot of people say that it takes them three, four weeks in the regular season to really get up to speed on the offensive line.
2: One last one before we go. Yeah. Because we haven't talked about this. What? A Patriots tight end retired. Oh, him. Him. Yeah. How did well, you feel when you heard that news?
0: I was so happy, John. I mean, <laughs> except I'd be much happier if it was number 12 instead of number 87. That, yeah. Is he 80, 87? Yeah. How could I get this wrong yeah. right now? Uh, to me, Sean Pendergast tweeted out his numbers. and uh, He's unbelievable. Yeah. It got me thinking, and I mentioned this with McClain about the old-school tight ends, Kellen Winslow. And yeah, Ozzie, I saw your guys response. Guys yeah. like that who are so great. And Gronk's the best, I have to admit that. Yeah. Just when you when you go with a guy who's on the field as a blocker, receiver, Everything, the threat yeah. he poses to the defense. But I don't want Kellen Winslow and Ozzie to not get their due playing in an era, yep. I call it the dead ball era, and they were putting up gargantuan numbers, especially Winslow, Winslow Sr., by the way, not yep. the Soldier Winslow senior, and he was yep. unbelievable. So,
2: I saw it, and you know what my first thought was? I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I will believe it when I see it, because there's a part of me that says, and, and I said this when I did Radio Mark, I'm hoping the Texans get the Patriots in the first half of the year, because my gut tells me that he's going to get the itch to want to come back to close the season on into the he playoffs. He might, but I heard that he's gone through so much to get his there body is that. ready to play. There is that, is that. He might be done. But... You know how that Patriots. I mean, times when we faced him in 2017. Right. How many times we say you got to put the stake in him? Yeah, I'm only going to believe when I see it. And, and it's not
0: just all of this. It's just sports retirements in general. You know, yeah. some. But the ones you think might come back, like Barry Sanders. Everyone thought at some point something yeah, would come, come back. back, and he never did. He's so good, he'll Jim come back. Jim Brown no. never came back. Right. You know, and and then you look at. Some other guys who do come back who and probably should. Brett Favre, Brett Favre <laughs> kept coming back. <laughs> Maybe once too often. <laughs> Favre watched every year for like five years. All right, Johnny. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. That's John Harris. Hey, go to the website HoustonTexans.com or wherever you download podcasts and check out the podcast of Bill O'Brien at the NFL meetings. Brian Gain, It's all there. My stuff is there as well as Johnny's within the Lab and Deep Slant with DP. Go check that stuff out. We'll be back on tomorrow at 6. Have a great night and go Texans.